We are planning your financial future. I'm Scott Thompson. Andy Lister and Don Fox are here from IG Private Wealth Management. You can call them now, leave a message. They will return your call at 905-529-7165. And check out their website at Andy and Don. That's Andy and Don, all one word, dot com. There you can listen to old archive shows and ask a question via the listener inquiry button. Good morning, gentlemen. Good, Good to morning, see you all. Scott. Good morning, Scott. Talking about RDSPs this time. What's that? Yes, that's registered disability savings plan right okay like an resp or yeah right that would be yeah you know there's so many like alphabet soup after a while all these little acronyms but registered disability savings plan and they've been around since uh, i think 2009 Mm -hmm. i think maybe 2007 there's but anyway been around for a while Mm -hmm. but probably one of the least understood and used programs that the government offers and you know to a certain extent it's because you don't hear a lot about them thankfully Mm -hmm. most people don't qualify for them because you have to be disabled right. of some sort and certain qualifications to get them. And there's income tests to get different grants. So I'm going to go through kind of the basics on how these work. And uh, the reason is I've, I've come across a, a few clients lately and some didn't know that they qualified for them. Mm-hmm. And the nice thing is you can go back up to 10 years and catch up. Um, and in fact, even longer. And I'll go through those uh, rules with you. But it's uh, they're a little complicated. Mm-hmm. So certainly feel free to, you know, at least you'll get to some education on it and you can ask your financial planner a bit more about them. Mm-hmm. Um, it's a bit of a specialty, certainly in our business, but it can result in a lot of money for your disabled, generally child, and that could be an adult child even. So at the end of the day, you can put money into them and and depending on your income, you could qualify for two parts of it. There is a Canadian Disability Savings Grant mm-hmm. and a, dis- a Canadian Disability Savings Bond. So there's two parts that you can get. And so if you were to put money into this, and let's say just out of curiosity, you're, you, you threw in 1500 a year. Mm-hmm. And by the way, it could be you, you're the parent putting it in, and the beneficiary would be the child. Mm-hmm. And it could be a grandparent, could be anybody. Just it's very similar to an RESP or an education plan where people can put money into Same these Same sort of thing. Same right? idea there. Mm-hmm. But the neat thing is the, the amount of money you could get uh, if you qualify, and that is if your income is less, and family income is less than $95,259 as a family, Mm -hmm. you would qualify for both parts. You would qualify of the grant, which for every dollar you put in, the government would put in $3 for you. Wow. Like triple. Mm -hmm. And then, but that's only on the first $500. So you put in $500, the government would put in $1,500. Then the next thousand you put in, they would put in $2,000. Mm -hmm. Okay, double. So if you put in $1,500 a year and your family income was under $95,000, you put in $1,500, the government would put in Mm $3,500. And so you would end up with a contribution of $5,000 on that $1,500. You you cannot get that kind of return. It's phenomenal. So scenario one is if you qualified for both and you put in $1,500 away a year, over the years, 20 years later, you would have actually put in $30,000 of your own money. Mm-hmm. you would have received $70,000 of grant money on that. And then you would also qualify for the bond. The bond would be $20,000 that would have been thrown in on top of that. And then you would have got growth over those 20 years, very similar to any other investment. And at a 4.75% return, you'd also end up with 82000 of growth mm-hmm. over 20 years. But the reason you're getting so much growth you only put in 30000 but that growth is on all that money, right. all the grant money as well. 
and it ends up over a 20-year period, you put in 30000 and there's over 200000 $202,412 to be exact, mm-hmm. sitting in the RDSP. Mm-hmm. And, you know, this is a way for that disabled child to create an income for themselves at retirement, to subsidize their lifestyle. Mm-hmm. And there's a lot of other benefits as well. So depending on your income, you may not qualify for all that money. Mm-hmm. See, if, you, if your income is over 95000 you still qualify, but you only get... You, you put in a thousand a year and the government will match it a thousand. Right. Okay, so it's still, hey, anytime you're, you're getting a matching, it's like the yeah. programs at work. You put in a dollar, if your company put in a dollar and the RSP, you'd love it. Yeah. Same thing here. So many people aren't taking advantage of this free money. And the bond, if your income is under um, 32,000, 31,120, you automatically get a thousand dollar bond. Mm. You don't have to do, put any money in. Yeah. The government just puts it in for you. So that's how you would get $20,000 worth of bond money. It would be the max over 20 years. So great deal from that standpoint. So the reason this comes up is, is a lot of people are saying, well, my, my child's getting ODSP, Ontario Disability Savings Program. So they're getting this, this money every month. And the maximum on that is about $1,355 a month. Mm-hmm. And, but they have, they're very limited what they can have. They can only have... $40,000 of investments or b- bank accounts or anything at any given time. Right. Otherwise, they lose their, their, their pension. Right. So if all of a sudden they got an inheritance of, say, $100,000 or more, well, what do you do with that money? And so the, this, um, say the RDSP, it's exempt. Yeah. You can put up to $200,000 of your money into it. That's your contribution. Yeah. And if you qualified for any of the grants or bonds, that would be over and above that. Mm-hmm. So I, I've looked at uh, a situation just recently, and uh, this uh, person, she was not be very good with money. And she, fortunately, she's, she's got a, you know, a good lifestyle, but she inherited about $120,000. If it ended up in her bank account, she would lose her ODSP. Mm-hmm. She would lose her disability payment right away right. until it got under 40000 And then... The nice thing with the this RDSP, the Registered Disability Savings Plan, it can grow. It, all the income it earns, it doesn't affect her payments, and she can actually withdraw money. Mm-hmm. It is always the beneficiary's money. Mm-hmm. It never changes. It's always there. So it's protected. Um, it's uh, government protected, uh, creditor protected. It's just another one of those avenues where somebody can save a few dollars over the years and give them some income. So a lot of people say, okay, um, that's great, but you know, what if, what if the uh, parent passes away? Mm-hmm. Well, then you just have to have a, a trustee. But at the end of the day, it is the beneficiary, so it's a disabled person's money. And they can actually put up to 200000 right up to the age of 59 years old. Mm-hmm. And so in this case, this person was over 40. And therefore, um, you know, once you're, once you're 60, you have to start taking an income. You can't, well, first of all, you can't contribute anymore. And you just have to start taking an income at 65. So there's no more contributions, but you can turn the top and have an income. Mm-hmm. In fact, you can have a, an income or take a, a payment out of it at any given, even any given point. So as far as getting any of these government benefits, though, the last time, the, age you, the maximum age you can be is age 49. Mm-hmm. So if you are 51, you actually may still qualify because they can carry forward, mm. okay, so unused. 
Um, but 49 is the last year, so that you're eligible eligible yeah. for those grants and, and bonds. Mm-hmm. So it's a, a great deal for accumulating money. And again, in this example I gave you here, 1500 a year, and it grows to over 200,000 in 20 years. You know, now if the person is now 65 at, you know, say 5%, there's 10,000 a year income, 800 and some odd dollars a month extra income. Again, not affecting yeah. any um, benefits. Now at 65, it's dollar for dollar. If they're getting old age security, they lose exact amount of their, their ODSP. Right. So if they're getting uh, the maximum, it's called $1,300, 55 cents. That's 1355 rather, and they took out uh, you know the old age security is about 600. That only leaves 755, uh, but still, mm-hmm. y- you want to have that, sure. Okay, and then on top of that, they still could get payments out of their RDSP. So, the some people say, well, which way should I go though? Should I look at maybe the Henson Trust, mm-hmm. or should I look at the, the the registered disabled savings plan? And that's a great question, and I had to look into that a little bit because. You know, Henson Trust has been a while, around for a while. And the thing with those is basically if you have over 200000 you do not, you can't put the, anything over 200000 into the RDSP. Right. So anything mm-hmm. above 200000 could go into the Henson Trust. Mm. Also, you have a trustee. And that trustee is to look after to make sure that person doesn't get too much money. Right. Um, any income from the Henson Trust is, is part of that income that person receives per year and it could affect their ODSP though, the the, the amount of pension they get. Mm-hmm. And therefore, they're no longer, they're not allowed to have over $6,000 of income per year. Once you get over $6,000, it's 500 a month of any income and including income from a Henson Trust. So the uh, the RDSP certainly is better there because you can take out as much as you want. Um, it's more, more more expensive. Henson Trusts are more expensive because you have to have a trustee and right. then you have to worry about, okay, who should I pick for that and so forth. The uh, the RDSPs they are irre- irrevocable. Um, whoever that person is, that's their money. And upon that, the disabled person's um, death, it goes to their estate. Mm-hmm. Okay. Where the nice thing about a Henson Trust, I got to say, is if the disabled person passes away, then it already knows where the funds would continue to go. It may go to the sister or brother right. that isn't disabled, mm-hmm. and. Y- with the disabled person, they, you got to make sure they're able to even make a will. Mm-hmm. So it's it's a little tricky. Yeah. The nice thing with the Henson Trust, you have a trustee, and this could all be done for you. Um, so you do have better control of the assets. Well, the, the one thing with a, an RDSP is if you're getting this grant in, in bonds, and if you can't pull the money out within 10 years. So if you've got, uh, say, $10,000 of, of grant and bonds, and you pulled out $10,000, dollars you got to repay that first. Mm. So the nice thing with the Henson Trust, it might work bo- well to have both of them. So start taking a slow, a little bit of an income out of a Henson Trust, say 6000 a year, leaving the RDSP to simply grow. Mm-hmm. And then once you've hit the 10-year mark, start drawing it out of the RDSP. Right. All I know, there's absolutely a ton of rules with these things. And it, at the end of the day, you really want to get somebody qualified to go through all the options yeah. because the more I dug into this uh, ser- seriously the more complicated it got mm. there's a lot of rules to this and because we just came up with a case which route to go it turned out because it was going to be under 200,000 the RDSP was the way to go right and but again even in this person's words they weren't sure if they'd be able to handle the money but at least they know they have somebody to talk to so they have you know our office 
and and that person will be able to say, no, you can't have the money. Yes, you can. Right. At the end of the day, it's their money, and they can get to it. Right. But they will at least they need a trustee or at least somebody to speak to. And if it was just at a say a a no frills place where you simply will take the money out at will, yeah, that money wouldn't last very long. Right. So you need to have that personal <clears throat> contact with a financial planner to make sure that that person's doing the right job for them. But when you look at the the TFSAs, RSPs. Um, RDSPs, what else is there? That's all the ones I can think of. TFSA, sorry. You put them all together, these benefits, you want to take advantage of anything you have because they're there for a purpose. Mm. And this is one of the ones that I can't believe how many people don't even get the $1,000 free. Mm. And all they have to do is prove that they are getting the disability tax credit, lived in Canada, resident in Canada, and they have a social insurance number. And if they're getting that, they would likely qualify for the $1,000 um, bond right away. We are planning your financial future. I'm Scott Thompson. Andy Lister and Don Fox are here from IG Private Wealth Management. Call now, leave a message. They'll get back to you at 905-529-7165. We're coming right back. We are planning your financial future. I'm Scott Thompson. Andy Lister and Don Fox are here from IG Private Wealth Management. You can call them now, leave a message. They'll get back to you at 905-529-7165 and check out their website at andyanddon.com. That's andyanddon.com. Talking about estate planning and power of attorney. Yeah, so in, in the last week, I met with the son of a client of mine who, and he's also a client. He and his wife are also clients. And... Um, and the whole discussion about his mother's financial situation came up, and it was an important discussion because he had been named as, well, originally she was widowed. Um, and just a quick a little bit of background on her, and and this may be similar as you think about, as a listener, if you're thinking about your own parent or your mm-hmm. own aging parent and the issues that begin to crop up as they, as they start to decline. And mm-hmm. particularly in this situation... Um, the client of mine, uh, we'll call her Shirley. She's 96 now. Wow. Just just had a birthday, mm-hmm. and um, and she's been a client since uh, 1986, so 23 years now. And and her son became a client, and uh, but she was widowed about seven years ago at mm-hmm. 89, and uh, she and her husband just had the one child, yeah. and so they were. Uh, uh, and and they have one daughter-in-law and uh, and one grandson. Right. So. Um, it was always important to them while they were both alive, uh, Shirley and her husband, that uh, both the son and in particular the grandson was looked after. Mm-hmm. So the prodigal grandson <laughs> mm-hmm. that was their favorite and um, and certainly uh, it simplified things because there wasn't yeah. other. There, yeah. were, there weren't others. Mm-hmm. Uh, so they were able to focus their efforts in, in our planning over the years. And so over the last 23 years, I was looking back and um, they actually, they, we set up a whole life policy for the grandson uh, about uh, 15 years ago. And when we project that forward and they overfunded this policy mm-hmm. so that it would basically be paid up. Mm-hmm. And in essence, by the time he's 65, it's going to be well over a million dollars wow. tax-free Holy cash that's smokers. in there. So yeah. really forward thinking and um, and also just willing to commit their own 
uh, resources mm-hmm. to do this because it meant, you know, did it, it didn't mean a big change in terms of their lifestyle. Mm-hmm. They were still doing the things they wanted to do. But this was important that they felt that they left a legacy for sure. They also set up term insurance for on the son, on their own son, so that uh, if something happened to him, the daughter-in-law would be looked after. And not because they didn't have, um, they had their own resources, but it was stretched just as mm-hmm. it always is. Um, only one of them were, was able to work at a per- for a period of time. And um, and the grandson, it was important that his lifestyle and, and maintaining his opportunities going forward too. Yeah. And then the third thing they did is they maximized, they set up an education fund, an RESP for him right from the get-go. And, uh, and that it, it was able to pay for an engineering degree. So the grandson yeah. is now graduated and is uh, looking at a master's program. But cool. basically, they set up and funded a whole retirement program, or sorry, a retirement program plus an education program for him. So, uh, so that left some flexibility for Imagine the son. Imagine getting and money from your grandparents at sixty-five. <laughs> yeah, no kidding. Yeah. Think about that. Isn't it amazing? Wow. And and the beauty of that, of course, the planning around that was that all of the accumulation and growth inside that is completely tax sheltered. Yeah. So there's no tax implications to the the grandson. Um, there were, I mean, it's going to be incumbent on him and I to, to review what that's going to do for him later on because, yeah. you know, people sometimes they get the motivation, they want to dip into these things beforehand. But if, I, if you just imagine you never had it, you're going to be looked after at age 65. You're going to be in pretty good shape. That would be a massive challenge, knowing you get this money at <laughs> 65, mm, 35, 45, 55. Yes. I mean, that, you know. Yes. Yeah. And and this is where, you know, it, it it's kind of like a bar of soap. You don't want to touch it because it'll just get smaller. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah. they did a lot of things. And the other planning that we did uh, for Shirley was we uh, we sort of, we, we quickly sort of wound down her RIF. So she had no more registered retirement funds to deal with in terms of her estate. So over the last couple of years, and it was, in, it was fun, I was just sharing this with, um, with John, the son, and saying how I had a conversation with Shirley and I met her in her home and this was several years ago, and she said, you know, Andy, I just, many of my friends are reaching the point now where they're starting to fail, and I've noticed that their memory is not as sharp as it used to be, and I know that that's a natural, it's mm-hmm. going to happen to me too. Do you think I'm okay today, now? And I said, you know, you know, Shirley, we've always been able to go over your financial situation I felt that you've always comprehended it and yeah. you've been able to sort of reflect back to me what we talked about mm-hmm. and understanding your income tax and all of yeah. those parts. And uh, for years, she was even doing her own income tax. And um, so, but I think that she felt something was changing because that conversation, I would say within two to three years, it had definitely changed. Yeah. So something was happening she, and, she and I don't get to, you know, I would see her, you know, every six months or so. So mm. you begin to see the changes mm. and eventually uh, she made the decision on her own while she was still competent uh, to move into a retirement home. Mm-hmm. So the home was sold and, um, and we set up an income stream for her to pay for her retirement home. Her net worth today is 1.1 million and, uh, 
and of that 1.1 million, about 1 million of it is with us here at IG Wealth Management. So that was a tax-free savings account. There's 100,000 there. Uh, and the beneficiary of the tax-free savings account is the estate. That's going to be important. I'll come back to that in a second. She has 750,000 in what we call a segregated fund. So this is a, like a mutual fund issued by an insurance policy. Mm-hmm. The benefit of that is that she can name a beneficiary which had been done. And in this case, it's the son, John, who's going to receive that capital. There is also about 150000 in non-registered investments going to the estate. And then on top of that, there was about four different bank accounts, a few at the Blue Bank, a few at the Green Bank, and mm-hmm. and, um, and, what it, and some personal items that were, had some value as well, about 100000 in total. So that made up the $1.1 million. And... Um, and so what, what had happened, though, in the absence of, of monitoring her activity very really closely, she would make a trip to the bank, mm-hmm. and, um, and most recently, she made a withdrawal of $500 cash, and then subsequently returned to the bank the next day, and it may have even been in the afternoon, uh, and deposited the money back into the bank account. Hmm. And so there was really these transactions began to happen that didn't make sense. Um, And as often is the case, when people have money that builds up in a bank account, Mm -hmm. the the, the staff at the bank will usually try to direct them to doing something with that money. Yeah, yeah. you shouldn't leave it Mm -hmm. in so much in your bank account. Mm -hmm. So... um, uh, they off, she was directed to buy GIC. So mm-hmm. we were discovering that she was locking in money mm-hmm. at low rates um, that didn't really make sense right. for what she was needing her money uh, and from an estate perspective too. And the reason it didn't make sense from an estate perspective is as you, as you sort of split all this money up into different accounts and different banks, when it comes time to deal with an estate and probate, um, the, it, it really becomes a real burden or a block yeah. to be able to process things quickly and yeah. easily and at the least expense possible. Mm-hmm. Because typically one institution might have, mm-hmm. you know, 40,000 and another institution has, you know, 60,000 here. And then, but they're going to ask for probate because that little bit of money, it's, it's enough. Mm-hmm. It's too much so that it triggers the probate yeah. and it's not small enough that they would just waive it and, right. and let the money leave. And of course, the institutions want to hold on to the money, but they're also afraid of liability. So they will ask for probate. And that whole process then unfolds, which involves time, yeah. money, and inconvenience for everybody. So we, there was certainly some motivation and discussion with um, uh, John. The, he is the power of attorney. And uh, how could we simplify this? How could we minimize the probate? So we needed to understand what the probate was going to be. And when we run the crunch, the numbers on that, the final taxes and this, uh, the little tax, the probate tax, uh, again, remember the segregated fund is going to bypass her estate and go directly to the son. But um, she'd also named some nieces and nephews that were in the United States that were going to be beneficiaries of, of uh, in her will. Small amounts. It was 10000 here or 15000 for various mm-hmm. nieces and nephews. So she needed some money to flow through her will to be able to fulfill her wishes inside the will. Mm-hmm. So some money, even though some money could bypass and avoid probate, other monies needed to go through the will right. to make these bequests. And so the probate tax... Uh, was going to be about $5,250, $5,250. We're going to call that the little tax. The big tax, which is the final taxes owing in terms of capital gains and any other um, investment income and her income from um, 
pensions, etc., was about $75,000 of tax. So the big tax, 75, yeah. the little tax, probate, 5250. So the 5,250, it's kind of annoying, but is there a way to simplify that or minimize that? And, um, what we were looking at is if we can eliminate all these bank accounts, get it down to one. And we think about, and Don and I always talk about creating your retirement paycheck. Mm-hmm. And a goal of that is to have all of your money going into one account mm-hmm. and all of your expenses coming out of yeah. one account. Now that could be, maybe you use a credit card. Everything goes on a credit card, but it's all paid from one account, but mm-hmm. it's all with the same institution. And why that simplifies things is that when you have all your business with one institution, they are going to be more motivated to waive probate requirements Mm. and simplify the cost. So get rid of that little tax as much as possible. Um, And the goal too was to automate things. So some things were arriving to her still by mail. Uh, She had a check, a a social security check from the United States that would arrive by mail. Well, that had to be physically deposited into a bank account. Um, There was another pension check from Canada, Sun Life, that was arriving by mail and needed to be physically deposited. So the goal was to automate everything. Can we get those pensions on direct deposit? Can we get her Social Security on direct deposit? She was also making installments to CRA for her income tax. Mm -hmm. So that should be automated because she was missing, they were missing the the deadline Mm -hmm. dates and then paying penalty interest on, on late installments. And uh, credit card payments, and that was another trigger to the conversations too, because she'd actually began uh, double paying credit cards. So thinking she had paid oh, it, <clears throat> and then you got a positive balance, and then it, it was yeah. a, it would be a yeah. negative balance, yeah. or it would show up. Yeah, show it positive. would show up as a. Well, generally, it shows as negative. Yeah, it shows as negative. It, Re- it sounds weird. Oh, it's the same. exact yeah, yeah. opposite. So she the same thought, way he returns the bank account, though. That's right. Yeah, really. Yeah. <laughs> Zero. Don't have to worry about your visa bill for a while. <laughs> so she thought that she um, owed, when it said negative, mm-hmm. that oh, amount. So would she pay would pay it more, more double oh, pay it. Yeah. <clears throat> so it's very sad, but it's also mm-hmm. an evolution that many of us are facing, right? And we've, we either are seeing it happen with mm-hmm. our own uh, parents as they've aged, uh, or know of it through grandparents, et cetera. So these are things that once you become aware of, it's important to try and step in. And But at the same time, when people have uh, cognitive, uh, whether it's dementia, Alzheimer's, they'll have periods where everything is, there's clarity. Yeah, right. And so they know what's mm-hmm. going on mm-hmm. and they don't, and they, but they also feel vulnerable mm-hmm. because it's who do I trust and yeah. how do I, and you're telling me this, but I don't, but then something else confusing would happen in terms of finances. Mm-hmm. And then they would worry that it could be, well, I don't have enough money. Mm-hmm. You know, and, and it does seem like that, that numbers are the first to go numbers for sure you know, yeah. numbers become numbers. confusing yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah i agree and uh i'm done that <laughs> <laughs> well, I, I can't even do them now uh. <laughs> so the the goal now we had um i had taken both uh, when they were both alive uh shirley and her husband uh to an estate lawyer uh, a mm-hmm. trust and estate practitioner they had done a complete will and they had also done a uh, power of attorney. Mm-hmm. So she had named her husband as power of attorney. And then the substitute was her son, John, in case yeah. he had predeceased or he wasn't capable. So uh, armed with an original power of attorney, an original power of attorney, the son, who is the power of attorney, can now go into the financial institutions and provide rec- uh, directions and recommendations in mm-hmm. terms of what to do with her finances. So this is going to, the goal now is to just, to, you know, tick off the boxes mm-hmm. as you start to automate all of these different pieces, closing down certain bank accounts, getting everything to one bank account so that it's simple 
and uh, and minimizing as much of that paper flow of paperwork to her mm-hmm. that it's adding a lot of stress and confusion as right. well. So, um, and as you do that, again, the motivation, the, the bonus can be the opportunity to waive probate along the way as well. So, I, when you when it comes to uh, and so we're in this process, so I don't you know as far as listeners today, I don't have here's what happened and right. everything's great, right. but we know now what the game plan is, and it's just an example when you think about um, uh, as a legacy and as a as a financial planner, the roles that we take on to try and make sure that the financial well being of our clients is looked after, mm. whether it's you know during the, the the accumulation phase and in this case during the the final the, the legacy phase of right. trying to make sure that um, that at, at a vulnerable time that people are still protected. Mm-hmm. And uh, well, after yeah. twenty some odd years, and you've had this relationship with a client, you know what it's. It's hard for them to go through this. And again, even, even you know, their beneficiaries, their kids, they, they now trust you too. Mm-hmm. And so you've got this relationship. Yes. And we've dealt with some like three generations of clients quite often. And it's nice to have some of the, that they know is in looking after their best interest no mm-hmm. matter what. And often it's those anomalies when they overpay a credit card or they're doing something just a little different than mm-hmm. they used to do because yeah. we're seeing them on a different level than perhaps their kids are seeing them. And all of a sudden they say, okay, what's going on here? And uh, I know we've... We've come across this many times where you're, you want to bring in a family member mm-hmm. to make sure. Yeah. And often um, you're starting to see dementia early yeah. and get the power of attorneys and making sure everything's done ahead of time. Mm-hmm. And that's the key. So a lot of times people will think about power of attorney and it's just something that either they haven't gotten around to mm-hmm. or something's changed and now it's not really valid anymore. So a lot of times, well, why bother getting a power of attorney? You know, we, yeah. what, what, why should you do it? And it's, it's very, it's critical because the first thing is, is you're going to have to go to court. You're going to have mm-hmm. to get a court order will be required to give someone the authority to make decisions. So whether it's over your finances or even your personal care, and we've just been focusing on finances right now. So the process, the process of having to go to get a court order, you don't get to choose, mm-hmm. right? As yeah. you know, cause you're no longer competent to be able to do it. You don't get to choose. You have, um, you don't get to any describe any parameters in terms of what the rules might be around it. You have, um, and what happens if a decision has to be made immediately, mm-hmm. you know, somebody, something we, you know, she has to be moved to a different location and nobody has authority to do that. So now you got to deal with the courts to get that and it can be expensive as well. So there's a lot of things that people can do when it comes to uh, power of attorneys and there's a lot of things you can't do. So in terms of what you should be doing, you know, paying bills, managing any real estate, managing any investments, paying taxes and filing the tax returns, signing documents for you, selling your house, dealing with your mortgage and property, gaining access to your safety deposit box is going to be an important one too. (laughs) And, uh, um, I guess the main thing is you got to think about who do I pick uh, and is there any compensation that I want to make to them as well. Yeah. So it all comes down to having a solid estate plan and it's critical. We are planning your financial future. I'm Scott Thompson. Andy Lister and Don Fox are here from IG Private Wealth Management. You can call now and leave a message at 905-529-7165. We're coming right back. Didn't know if you were running out there or not. We are planning your financial future. I'm Scott Thompson. Andy Lister and Don Fox are here from IG Private Wealth Management. You can call now and leave a message at 905-529-7165 and check out the website, andyanddon.com. There you can listen to old archive shows and ask a question via the listener inquiry button. Are you getting bad financial advice? You know, that's, that's one of those things. Everybody thinks that they're doing okay. 
and it's it's mm. it's interesting because you know most of the business or new clients we get they've always come from a different planner or a financial advisor of some mm-hmm. sort. Very rarely do you have somebody who says, "Hey, I won the lottery," and it's like, "Okay, what are you getting for the fees you're paying?" So that's one of the things. And there's a lot of commercials out there uh, that are talking about fees right now, and some mm-hmm. very effective commercials, I must say. And it's interesting. There's more to it than simply the fee. There's you know investor behavior. But if you're not doing very well, and ones that are paying high fees or low fees, they could both be doing equally terrible as far as investment performance. Mm -hmm. Because once you get involved as humans, humans just are not wired to do well with money. Mm -hmm. So you have to look at, kind of sit back for a bit and forget about the fee. What were your results? Mm -hmm. And were your results acceptable based on your risk tolerance? And if let's say your risk tolerance was moderate and you're averaging, say, a 5.5% per year rate of return and you didn't have that much volatility, okay, well, maybe that's what you should have got. That's not a bad return at all. But if you're aggressive and you got, say, a a 4% rate of return and that everybody else is getting, say, a 10%, the markets are up 10, well, there's probably something wrong with either the investment you're in or your management of those investments. Yeah. And what I, mean by, what I mean by that is, are you selling like, uh, for example, back in December, the markets went down about 10%. How did you react to that? Did you get out? There was negative cash flow. Tons of people were taking the money out, not from us, because they have a person to call to say, hang in there, mm-hmm. don't jump off the ledge. Knock them off the ledge. You know, <laughs> stay there. But, uh, you know, a lot of the other ones, they, the, the ones with lesser fees, so to speak, there's nobody there to hold your hand. Mm-hmm. And quite often you say, okay, I'm just going to put it on the sidelines, which really means you're selling. Mm-hmm. Okay. It might sound better. Mm. So that's one thing. And when you're looking at your, or talking with your financial planner, what designations do they have? I know Andy went through the alphabet soup last year, mm-hmm. last week rather, of uh, you know different um, professional designations. Well, CFP is kind of the gold standard. You have to have your CFP. Mm-hmm. And if they're not, if they do not have their certified financial planning designation, then, and they've been around for lots of years, are they really upping their education? Mm-hmm. The rules are changing all the time. This is an area yeah. that clients must be dealing with somebody that is constantly upgrading their education and stick, staying with it. Because it's not a- Especially after an election, everything well, changes. Every budget, yeah. there's a new yeah, change. That's right. yeah. <laughs> okay. So that's one thing. And if, if your advisor is sitting, and, and again, right now, I'm, there's a lot of product right here. And if your advisor is simply talking about product all the time, that really is a financial advisor mm-hmm. or a investment advisor, shall I say. Because if they're not going over things such as your tax returns or your wills mm-hmm. or your power of attorneys and, and checking or your cash flow and going through all those things, that's not anything about financial planning. That's simply your investments. Mm-hmm. But going to the investments for a second, are they pigeonholing? Are they always talking about here's a way to solve everything and it's through insurance? Mm-hmm. Get this insurance policy. You can say, oh, yeah, you know, if you want to need some extra money, there's an insurance policy perfect for that. Well, if they're kind of pigeonholing everything into insurance, you, they're not really, you know, that, those are insurance mm-hmm. people, so yeah. to speak. Yeah. They don't have a broad range of ideas where they should be putting that money. Or another example, they're always leveraging. Mm-hmm. Okay. Oh, yeah. If you got an extra $100 a month, well, we should go borrow 10000 Yeah. And, uh, oh, yeah, here's a way to um, increase your net worth. And it's always to do with leveraging, borrowing for investment purposes. It does work. But again, it's no one. It's not a one fit try, you know, fit all kind of thing. Everybody's different, and leveraging isn't a bad tool, and insurance isn't a bad tool. But if they're always going in one direction all the time, you know, it says okay, this is their only thing they've got. Mm-hmm. This is the only error error in their quiver, so to speak. Yeah. Um, seg funds would be another example. Um, 
here's a perfect example of somebody getting bad advice. You're, you got your advisor is looking and said, "Whoa, I got this great whiz bang fund. It's it's uh, MER is two point four percent, and it's done fantastic in in the last three years. It's got a five star rating. Mm. I think we should move our money to that." Well, right off the bat. If they're looking at a three-year or a five-year period and basing the performance of where they should put money on that, that is a big red flag. Because you know what? Everybody's got their cycles. And those great funds in one year are the horrible funds in 10 years. Yeah. Or three years is just too long. And for that matter, maybe they just got lucky. You mm-hmm. know, they've been doing lousy, lousy, lousy for the last 20 years. And the last three years were good. Mm-hmm. So the longer you span it out, the better. Generally speaking, I like to see a 10-year plan and for that matter talking about planning do they actually have a written plan if are they giving you something typed up showing with inflation buying new cars what about vacations change of lifestyle at retirement are they updating that as on the fly a written plan again people it's been proven that research shows that people that who have a an actual written financial plan feel more comfortable sleep better at night it's a peace of mind knowing they they will get to where they want to go yeah and they can get that retirement paycheck that andy was just talking about and uh, so, and that would take into account all the things I talked about. Again, your wills, tax returns, making sure everything's looked after. Cash flow management is huge. And if, if they don't, you say, oh, you got enough money. How do you know you got enough money if you don't know how much you're spending per month? Mm-hmm. And that's a huge one. If they've got a, you know, living in a house with a, you know, a 2,000 a year property taxes, well, you know, you don't need as much. But what if the property taxes are 10,000 a year? Yeah. Big difference. So, so many aspects to a financial plan. Make sure you have a financial planner and not an investment planner. We are planning your financial future. I'm Scott Thompson. Andy Lister and Don Fox are here from IG Private Wealth Management. You can call them now and leave a message at 905-529-7165. And check out the website at andyanddon.com. That's andyanddon.com. There you can ask a question via the Listener Inquiry button. And you can also listen to old shows, old archive shows there as well on the website. Going to take a quick break here. We're coming right back. We are planning your financial future. I'm Scott Thompson. Andy Lister and Don Fox are here from IG Private Wealth Management. You can call them now and leave a message at 905-529-7165 and take a peek at the website, andyanddon.com. That's andyanddon.com. You've talked about this a bit, uh, your financial well-being and the score attached to it. Yes, and it's it's actually, I think it's getting some traction. Yeah. And it's certainly <laughs> getting... Uh, why do you think this is? Of all the things you guys talk about, why does this seem to resonate? Because maybe it, it, yeah. it, it, it gauges us with everyone else. It puts us... I think that's us the key. I think that's exactly how well are we doing. Maybe I mean, listeners, please tell me if there's something else that that makes sense to you. But uh, but I think for for all of us, we feel this sense to understand where do we sit relative to our peers in terms of our financial situation. Uh, Sometimes, you know, obviously you talk about how much do they make, how much do we make, but at the end of the day, you know, how overall, Mm -hmm. what's your financial well being? You know, you might have the flash, but you also have lots of debt. So. You know, is it sort of a false advertising thing? But anyway, we talked about um, the process of of creating a financial well being score, and the the concept of it started from uh, three main things. We talk about when you, in terms of improving your financial health, your financial well being, you're looking at alpha, beta, and gamma. And if you remember, alpha is the improvement on the rate of return over a benchmark. So if you get alpha, positive alpha, that means you're doing better than the average, just on your rate of return. Uh, beta is uh, less volatility. So can I get that return but not have to endure a lot of ups and downs, which is going to 
make me lose sleep at night. And the final component, which is gamma. And when you actually look at, and and gamma is everything that we've talked about here on the show. Mm -hmm. It's all the strategies, all of the the planning that goes around improving someone's overall financial well-being. Mm -hmm. And we look at it in six main areas, but the alpha, beta, and gamma, it's the gamma that actually produces the most benefit Mm -hmm. to your overall financial well-being. The other two factors are should be a given in, in essence, and, and it's much easier to duplicate that <clears throat> uh, anywhere else. Right. It's the gamma that is unique to the, your financial planner and their capacity and skills, right? Mm-hmm. But uh, so what we've tried to do is look at six main areas of someone's overall financial well-being, and the key ones are optimizing your retirement, planning for major expenditures, Preparing for the unexpected, so this could be uh, in case of a, a illness, a premature death, um, uh, long-term care scenario. Uh, the the fourth section is sharing your wealth, so this is about leaving a legacy to beneficiaries, and then maximizing or managing your cash flow efficiently is the sixth one. So. Um, and then you get an overall score. Now, there's definitely more weighting on the overall score towards optimizing your retirement because mm-hmm. that's something we're all focused on no matter what. We want to retire at some point. And so we always we, we end up putting people into either a, 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 a red category, which would be a score below 40, right. and you can have from 0 to 100. Green would be from 40 to 70, uh, uh, sorry, yellow, and then green would be over 70. Mm-hmm. So uh, a, a client sent me an email, what's my score? I want to know. And uh, so I, I didn't have a chance to get back to her uh, before we did our show here, but she, uh, I pulled it up and I didn't have it. I had no idea what it was going to be. And she ended up with 75. Mm-hmm. So she's a solid green. And, uh, and most importantly- So right now that listener knows you're talking about them. She's <laughs> <laughs> yep. feeling a lot better. And she scored a hundred in her uh, optimizing her retirement, mm. one hundred out of a uh, uh, hundred. And her goal was to have a retirement paycheck of about five thousand a month. And her target, we're on target right now for about a hundred and two percent of that. So mm. a little bit more mm. in terms of what she was actually trying to achieve. And so that's an important factor. And again, we're comparing her in her sixties to other people that are in this in their sixties right. as well, trying to understand based on the activities and the financial strategies that she's using today, how does that compare to other people in her mm-hmm. age group? Uh, and also um, using artificial intelligence, we can sort of harvest how other people outside of IG are doing in terms of their own financial well-being at this stage in life as well. Right. So the, you also get a comparison there. So just quickly, you know, you think about the, the lowest score was in uh, preparing for the unexpected, and which was a little bit surprising to me because... Um, she had, uh, we had initiated a CI policy, a critical illness policy, where in case of uh, heart attack, stroke, cancer, uh, the main, the big ones, mm-hmm. she would receive a lump sum of $100,000. And it was actually what we call a return of premium policy. So we know in 2027, she's actually getting all her money back, and that's going to be about $100,000. Um, but she got 40 out of 100 on being in terms of preparing for the unexpected. And I think that that really comes back to um, looking at a long-term care type of situation. What would happen if your last five years she has to be in a retirement home? How does that impact? Can she afford that? And um, 
and and perhaps that her spending is just close. It's so close to what she has. It's only 102. Yeah. percent There's not a lot of room for some flexibility there. Sharing her wealth, she got 70 out of 100. So certainly, a, everything being equal, she's going to have money left over to be able to leave to her children. And managing cash flow efficiently uh, and effect- effectively was 65 out of 100. So a pretty good score there. She's adding a thousand dollars a month to her um, RRSPs. So mm-hmm. doing regular contributions, maximizing her tax-free savings account. And uh, the only one that she didn't have a score on was planning for a major expenditure, which would be something like a car down the road. Right. And, um, and the reason being is that she had access to other vehicles, but I think our plan basically looked at when she gets her return of premium from her uh, critical illness policy, that that'll, uh, a chunk of that will go towards a new car right. in, in eight years' time. So overall, a score of 75 for her financial well-being, which is a great score. And um, uh, I'll be seeing her in the next week, so we'll, uh, I'll bring her up to speed exactly wow. what happened, if she's not listening. <laughs> <laughs> we have been planning your financial future. I'm Scott Thompson. Andy Lister and Don Fox have been here from IG Private Wealth Management. Check out their website at andyanddon.com. That's andyanddon, all one word, dot com. You can listen to old archive shows there, as well ask a question via the listener inquiry button. Or call now, leave a message. They will return your call at 905 Thank you, gentlemen. Fantastic. Thanks, Scott. Thanks, we'll Scott. see you next week. Day.